With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Does Chris McGinnis for us? Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the and Joe, and welcome to a Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho these past 24 years. It's a pleasure to be with you. I got a question for you. Did you notice all the colossal mistakes that government made, mostly government, a little bit of private sector, during the most recent snowstorm and weather snowpocalypse, whatever you want to call it? I'm going to give you a list that I think is a very good list of some of the major mistakes, and almost all of them are correctable. Oregon Catalyst, the Taxpayers Association, put it together, but I'm actually going to add a couple of my own suggestions as well. Let me get to that in just a moment. First, welcome to the program. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here on the Radio Northwest Network every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you first in line. You just bring your guts and, uh, you know, a couple of good arguments and a willingness to answer some questions. We'll have some fun. They'll get my side, and my audience will, and my audience will hear your side as well. Uh, if you want to call in, 866-439-5277. You want to send an email? That's easy. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our Twitter poll. I know some of the Twitter polls, we write them all out of the stories of the day, and they sound crazier and crazier every day. But, folks, I have no control over that. I mean, if we write them from the news of the day, and the news is kind of insane then the question's going to be insane as well. So try this one on for size. The poll on X, which used to be the Twitter poll, should convicted killers and rapists in prison vote in elections and run for office as Washington Democrats are today proposing? I know. You say that's crazy. Why would we want convicted killers and rapists sitting behind bars somewhere to be able to vote and beyond that, to be able to run for elective office. Now, I understand the chances of somebody like a Green River killer, uh, Gary Ridgway, sitting there in prison, let's hope for the rest of his life, although with Democrats in office, who knows? Um, he's going to run for what? City council, school board, uh, county commission, something. And not, it, it doesn't seem likely to work. But my point is, 
How is it that somebody can go out and kill and rape and commit horrendous crimes and then the Democrats say, well, why don't we let them run for office? Well, in my commentary, you're going to hear it, it gets even crazier because the Democrats say rapists have something valuable to add to the conversation about how we deal with rapists. I'm not joking. I'll get to it in just a moment. But first, should convicted killers and rapists in prison vote in elections and run for public office as Washington Democrats are now proposing? That one's going on in Olympia. I wouldn't put it past the Jokers in Salem to do the same thing in Oregon. But you can find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com, our website. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, I know that a lot of you have sent me emails. You've called. You've said, Lars, you're always griping about things. Do you offer solutions? I try to offer a solution every time I gripe about something, but... I saw this great list put together by Jason Williams of the Taxpayers Association writing an Oregon Catalyst, and I thought it was great. And that was before I got to number 11 on the list, which actually actually had to be one of the things that I suggested, J Jason, as well. But consider this list, and I'll go through it fairly quickly. You can get a whole list uh, if you want. We'll post it on our website and all that good stuff. Number one. You have this major snowpocalypse going on, a quarter of a million people without power. You have major institutions shut down. The roads are almost impassable in certain parts of the Northwest, big parts of the Northwest. And it takes Governor T Tina Kotek, who is just barely one year in office, five full days before she wakes up and says, hey, this is an emergency. And she declares an emergency. Number two. Multnomah County in particular, I mean, these folks are just about as dim as the people who run King County, but Multnomah County actually closed its emergency warming, warming shelter for people living on the streets the day before the freezing rain arrived. And if that makes sense to anybody, I'd be glad to take the naysayer call on it. Number three, and I mentioned this yesterday, at least homeowners who are trying to get trees removed in the Northwest, there are certain groups of weird people who, who worship trees. I don't worship trees. I think they're a great, uh, they're a great thing that God gave us. And they can be cut down and turned into lumber and homes and made uh, jobs and uh, tax revenue and the whole nine yards. But <clears throat> when you realize that a tree is likely to fall on your house and you go to the local government and you say, can we get a permit to take these trees down? And the government says, no, we're going to run you through a long process. You're never going to get the permit. Highly unlikely. And then the trees actually fall on somebody's house and destroy them and could have easily killed the person inside that house. That's one of the disasters. Now, I think the solutions to all of that kind of suggest themselves. If you've got emergency shelters, don't close them right before the freezing rain arrives. If you've got trees that need to be taken down, allow homeowners to take them down themselves. I mean, you're always complaining about planting trees. How about this? Take the trees down that are dangerous. Then you find out the city of Portland says, we're not even going to help out with emergency shelters unless the county provides security and a 48-hour notice. Now, does that make any sense? I mean, it's fine that 
the streets are dangerous, the people living on the streets are dangerous, and yet the city says, well, we're not helping those people out unless you provide us with security. What if the taxpayers said the same thing and said, hey, we're not paying our taxes unless you provide us with security? And then, number six, lawmakers who tried to ban gasoline-powered generators in 2023, and don't put it past them to propose it again, they probably will. I mean, they were trying to ban gas lawnmowers and leaf blowers and string cutters and the rest of that. But they want to ban gas generators. Can you imagine how colossally stupid that seems as we exit the other end of a snowpocalypse that put a quarter of a million people in the dark and tens of thousands of people lost power for days? And then you say, by the way, government, Salem, the state capital, has emergency generator. And by the way, it runs on fossil fuel. It runs on diesel. And yet somehow the elites in Salem say our power has to stay on, but we don't want to let the average citizen keep their power on. And then government subsidized e-vehicles that absolutely failed miserably in cold weather. And here's a little factoid for your friends who love battery cars. When the weather gets to 20 degrees, I mean, it's not below zero, just 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Guess what happens? The average range of an EV drops by 41%. And the state of Oregon and the state of Washington are spending billions of dollars to install charging stations for cars that don't work when it gets cold. And the same thing is true of the folks in the transit agency saying, well, we have transit, but when people need it most, it's not going to work. And then, of course, PGE's $6 million CEO who won't talk to the media about how miserably her utility company failed the public. No, but she's still making $6 million in stock bonuses and everything else. So all of that on that list, I thought it was a very, very good list. We can probably add a few to that today. Glad to have you with me on a Tuesday. 866-439-5277, the number to call. If you want to send emails, talk at LarsLarson.com. If you want to vote in our poll on X, you'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. If you don't mind, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. The upcoming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned, the green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. Die, get pupper! So prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. 
That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body well right. You know he got a right to sit. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the Daily Dead, Fish Rapper, or mainstream media bias. I have to give Northwest lawmakers this. They've made the region as criminal-friendly as they possibly can. Their latest efforts land on the lunatic fringe, though. Oregon and Washington have downsized police, elected prosecutors who refuse to prosecute, and cut loose thousands of criminals from prison. One Democrat bill, though, now, this week, would let convicted criminals sitting in prison, like Green River killer Gary Ridgway, run for elective office and vote in the election. Now in Washington state, a proposed law, a different one, that seeks to destigmatize rape, believe it or not. Sponsor Tara Simmons, a Democrat, of course, literally calls, says calling rapists sex offenders leaves them with a stigma. You think? In Washington, Sex Offender Policy Board writes the rules for how the state deals with these dangerous folks. They're perverts. That board includes at least one victim of sex crimes. I think that makes sense. A victim point of view, probably important. Well, now, Representative Simmons would like to add at least one sexual criminal to the board, maybe more. She says these folks would add what she calls an invaluable perspective. By the way, Representative Simmons is herself a three-times convicted felon. Imagine one of your family members who's a survivor of such a crime sitting on a board with one of these criminals. You get the picture? Membership would include up to level three sex offenders, those judged by the shrinks as the most likely to go out and rape or molest again. So we have convicted criminals writing the laws, defining how we protect the public from criminals, Using the criminal's point of view, what could possibly go wrong? And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, the happy recipient of today's Daily Grill on the Lars Larson Show is Portland City Commissioner and mayoral candidate Renee Gonzalez, who has been invited on this program time after time. I'd be glad to be nice as pie if Renee Gonzalez came on if I got a chance to ask him a few tough questions. Well, guess what? He said on Monday, yesterday, that two recent fires, including one that destroyed the car that belongs to his family right in his driveway, he says they could be domestic terrorism. Now, you want one of the first questions I'd like to ask mayoral candidate Renee Gonzalez, who might actually have a decent chance of winning the race, I'll admit that. Did Commissioner Gonzalez call Antifa and BLM domestic terrorists? You know, back when they were rioting and burning and looting and assaulting and even on occasion murdering people. Or does he only see domestic terrorism when it comes to his own doorstep? You see... Democrats like Rene Gonzalez need double standards or they'd have none at all. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Don writes in, Lars, what kills me about kids being stuck with their broken, closed schools is I'm not reading anything about contingency plans. The school districts are not setting up classes at a local community college or online classes for students. Just classes canceled till early February. Haven't these kids missed enough education? Make-up days for teacher strike during winter break, they were a joke. 
No learning happened for most of the students. Let's face it. If the district was serious about making it right, they'd cancel spring break as well and try to salvage what's left of this school year for the sake of the children. And she makes a great point because you always hear from the teachers unions why this is all about the kids and would you give us a raise? Uh, but it's all about the kids. Please give us a raise and more health care and more union rules for the way that schools are run. But give us a raise. This is what's crazy. And we pointed this out yesterday. Private schools, like the Christian schools out there, when they saw the weather coming at them, they said, look, we already know how to do distance learning or what you call online learning. Why don't we do some of that? If the kids are stuck at home, they can use the electronic devices that almost all of them have. And I've had a few people say, well, Lars, you don't understand. Most of these kids come from poor families, and they don't have a laptop, and they don't have a smartphone, and they don't have this, and they don't have that. Well, for those kids, let's happily provide those devices for them to use and then return to the school. But I'll tell you what, I'd like to meet the family, a poor family, that does not have at least one smartphone in the family. And if you say, well, mom and dad need that phone to be able to make sure when the boss calls to say you're not working today because of the weather, that they'll be able to use it for that. Are you telling me that during a eight or ten hour day that your son or daughter couldn't take your smartphone or your pad device or your desktop computer, whatever it is that you have, and can't they use that to keep up with their school lessons? And could the schools say, tell you what, our teachers are all at home, but they all have smart devices. They actually make good paychecks. Some of them make six figures. So why don't we have the teachers at home put together a short uh, lecture uh, so on whatever subject it is that was happening the day before the weather arrived, give that lecture, and then at the end of 15 or 20 minutes, it's just sitting there and talking to a camera for 15 or 20 minutes. Teachers do it in front of a class every single day. Ship that out, have it posted, have the school district say, here's your class lecture for the day, here are the assignments for the day, here are the chapters to read, and by the way, here's a short pop quiz that you can take online. And then when the weather ends, you can put the kids back in the classroom. Maybe we could get kids to actually catch up in that case. Unfortunately, the schools are all about we get paid, whether the teachers sit home or not, and that's really sad, and it hurts the kids. Our poll on X today, should convicted killers and rapists in prison be able to vote in elections and run for public office as Washington Democrats are currently proposing at the state legislature in Olympia? I'd say no to that. You can vote any way you like. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go to Pinball. Hey, Pinball, I know you're a, uh, you're a former con, right? Yes, sir. I am a convicted felon. I have not committed a crime in over 20 years. And my crime, I did not assault anybody. Nobody got hurt. Only victim was the bank and me. And I'm hoping and like I'm glad to hear that you you got exactly the result we want for every criminal, that you reform your behavior and become a, a productive member of the society. What's your comment today? Okay, uh, they want people in Washington and Oregon to run for public office. Prisoners, okay, uh, w with all this, go next, you know what I see coming next? And I, hate this, I see him give them licenses to pedophiles to run daycare centers. No kidding. That, that does seem, I mean, it, when I say that every day it gets crazier and crazier, that one wouldn't surprise me at all. When you've got a state lawmaker who is herself a three-times felon, and then she's a state lawmaker... Uh, and then she says we ought to let 
we ought to stop calling rapists rapists because that gives them a stigma. Doesn't it seem like she's trying to norm the idea that, yeah, they just made a little boo-boo. Why don't you let them be part of making decisions about how we handle sexual criminals? Pinball, I appreciate the call, and I especially appreciate the fact that you went straight for a quarter of a century. That's the way we'd like it to end for all. Glad to get your calls on this Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network serving Idaho, Washington, and Oregon every single day. And your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. Uh, send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And vote in our poll on X at Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Constantine Kissin on Hamas. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. There are positives as well. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters. At least they know what a woman is. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm just old enough to remember that we used to say the largest failed and most expensive public works project in the Northwest was the Whoops Nuclear pl Plans. And no, I didn't invent the acronym. They actually called themselves that. Well, now their place has been taken by a colossal disaster of a plan, and that is to build a new bridge over the Columbia River. I think we should have a new bridge on Interstate 5 over the Columbia River. It's a, it's a key choke point between Canada and Mexico and yet uh, what they plan to do is basically a light rail project with a little teeny bit of bridge attached. But now the details are coming out, and the details make it look like a bigger colossal disaster than we might have already thought. And the man who's been tracking that well is retired airline pilot and reporter John Lee, who joins me now. John, welcome back. Lars, thanks so much. It seems like every month we learn something new about this outrageous project of a, as you said, light rail project in search of a bridge. Seven and a half billion dollars was the old price tag. Joe Courtright is now saying it could be nine billion. But the most recent revelation was that they are demanding a waterfront light rail station in Vancouver. Yep. And they showed concepts of the light rail station 75 feet in the air there's apparently so, so only the height one of an eight-story building exactly right there's only one higher in the u.s apparently 87 and a half feet in brooklyn and so who wants to wait in the snow in the rain in the ice storm we had last week for 15 minutes for a light rail train it's absolutely ridiculous Oh, by the way, John, you just reminded me of something. What natural geographical feature that is so significant to the Northwest sits just a few miles to the east of this current, this proposed station standing 75 feet in the air? Isn't that the Columbia River Gorge, which during storms actually produces a really stiff and cold east wind? Absolutely. And that same Columbia River Gorge today has multiple aspects of roads and highways still closed including the scenic highway because of the ice and the lack of safety conditions on them and by the way one of the other and i want to knock through some of these because you've come up with a great list of these i mean we've talked already about the fact that the coast guard must approve any bridge and right now the coast guard has said no 
to this bridge. And it's a firm no saying it is 50 or 60 feet too short to clear river traffic. The Coast Guard has said they will not get or have not given their approval. I don't think they're likely to. But then, like you said, new details all the time. One of them is that building light rail as part of the interstate bridge replacement will require that a virtually brand new building called the, the Hurley building, which is, I don't know, six or eight stories tall, has to be destroyed and bought? That's right. The Hurley Development Office building was built in 2019, just over 42,000 feet of combined office space and living condominiums. And that under two of the three proposed options or concepts, they will have to eminent domain, condemn it, and take it. And we have no idea how much taxpayer money we're going to have to pay to compensate the owners of that building for this brand new building to be used via eminent domain. Oh, and by the way, go ahead. I was going to say another aspect of this boondoggle is that the passenger platform is directly above a BNSF freight train railroad line that routinely carries oil and hazardous materials. It's unthinkable that the federal government and the Federal Transit Administration would approve a passenger station directly above a rail line that carries hazardous materials. And this the the platform that would be sitting up there seventy five feet in the air is going to be two hundred feet long, and this and and a lot of it is above this where the trains are going to bring oil and hazardous materials down below. Yep, um, there's so many different facets of this that are ridiculous. One of the concepts put the stairs that of course nobody's going to use on both. Which is John, you dropped out on me. I think uh, let me put you on hold and see if we I, I don't know if it was a, a phone problem or what, but you said they're going to put the stairs at each end of this 200 foot platform, which means you can't expand it, right? Exactly the point. And so while you and I know almost nobody uses light rail anyway, but if you're selling the idea we need high capacity transit, you need the ability to expand. And one of their options does not allow for any expansion of service whatsoever. All right. So you've got the possible destruction of a five-year-old building and eminent domain and whatever that's going to cost. You've got a platform that's standing 75 feet in the air right in the path. Well, right above the path of a potential accident down below with oil and hazardous materials and right in the or staring down the mouth of the Columbia River Gorge, which will make it a, a pretty tough place to be during any kind of east winds. And by the way, What's the average speed? You said the average speed of these trains is 14 miles an hour? Yeah, for the yellow line, which is what they're extending for three miles on this project, it only travels an average of 14 miles an hour. That's because basically they have a stop every single mile along the yellow line. Nobody wants to travel that slow. The yellow line has the second lowest ridership in the entire TriMet Max system. It's now, a does, ridiculous waste of money. John, does this platform, do they assume that they will have not just elevators for, for people with hand, physical handicaps, but they'll have elevators big enough to bring all the potential passengers up and down in an elevator? Or are we going to tell, you know, three-quarters of the people you got to hike up the stairs every time you want to go to this, this transit platform? 
I, I ran the graphics by transportation architect Kevin Peterson, who's designed transit stations all over the world. And he said they look like they're just normal-sized elevators. He estimated that the elevators could carry about 150 passengers and perhaps 30 bicycles an hour. It's absolutely ludicrous to assume this is going to serve any level of high-capacity transit. And one of the most amazing, ridiculous aspects of this is that they're planning another light rail station 2,500 feet to the north. Well, if are you going to get off at a station that's 75, 80 feet in the air, or are you going to go 2,500 feet to the north and get off at ground level and use that? Clearly, and by, it's one more indication that nobody's going to use this. By the way, the yellow line you mentioned that they're theoretically extending across this bridge, which the bridge is an excuse to build the line, you said they're saying they're going to have 26 to 33,000 riders a day. How many does the current MAC station have coming out of Delta Park? <laughs> the Delta Park has an average of 531 boardings per day. That's basically two full light rail trains when it's running 20 hours a day. So it tells you that overwhelmingly the tra current trains are empty. It's just a ridiculous assumption. Legislators from the Washington State side of the river have thrown the BS flag on these numbers multiple times. In fact, one legislator told Greg Johnson, the head of the IBR team, I'm effed, using a word we can't say on the air. Thank he you. said, I'm effed if we take these numbers to my constituents, because nobody in Clark County believes we will be anywhere near 26 to 33,000 riders a day. No, they just made up numbers that they think will sell the deal, and then you're going to get the bill. $9 billion, and they haven't even started construction yet. John, thanks so very much. Back in a moment, we'll get your calls and talk about Seattle's crazy streetcars. I know I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.
Ronald Reagan knew better, do you? All of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program and the Radio Northwest Network. Our poll on X today, should convicted killers and rapists in prison behind bars vote in elections and run for public office as Washington Democrats have proposed it's a real bill before the legislature in Olympia that says just because you're a convicted killer, a rapist, or some other kind of person, just because you're in prison sitting behind bars, you should be still be able to cast a ballot and you should be able to run for public office. Now, should they be able to? I'd say no to that. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. I do want to mention this one thing quickly, and then I'll get to calls. And that is, you think Portland and Oregon have major problems with transit. Consider this. In downtown Seattle, they built two streetcar lines, except they don't join. So now they say, well, now we have to join those lines. And I can't, I've tried to find the distance. It doesn't look like it's a very long distance. Might be, might be as much as a mile. But they're talking now that it's going to take $410 million and seven years to make that connection. They call it the cultural connector. Apparently, it's failed to move forward despite a 10-year discussion of it by the city council. A new consultant report on the long-planned streetcar, this is from the Seattle Times fish wrapper, says costs are up 43% because they have several new project elements that are assumed to be necessary. So the total price tag, $410 million, construction time, seven years. And the question is, do you want your money spent that way? Other calls. Let's start with Paula. Hey, Paula, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's going on? Hi, Lars. Um, I am calling as a very concerned um, citizen for the lives of people that are in the Elsie and Vine Maple for, um, local area and for the thousands of cars that travel on Highway 26 every day to and from the from the ocean. Um, there is a board members. There are five total members, and the president of the board. Her name is of, Vivian. Of what? Fire Mikita. board. The fire board. Fire board. Yep. yep. And they have recently suspended Mike Womack, the fire chief. He has forty years of experience um, being a fire chief. He has a heart of gold. He works a full-time job. He also puts in all the extra hours to, uh, to volunteer his time. Um, they have suspended him, and they are reasons that are not... No, but you've got to tell people, don't leave them with a mystery. What's the stated reason that they suspended the fire chief of a small community? They say that he doesn't have... Um, control of his employees, all the employees except for one, um, adore Mike. They they know that he has the skills and expertise. They're saying that he, they've made these claims, but they at a meeting that they had in Elsie the other night, they did never let him speak to def defend the, the claims that have made against him. The, the claims are not accurate. Um, the, that he does have the faith of his of his employees, and this is this a largely volunteer fire department? Yes, it is. Okay, so there's one firefighter that does not does not support Mike, and that is the husband 
to Vivian McCann, who now wants, Vivian wants to make her husband the fire chief, but he is not qualified. He does not have these skills. And so this is putting the lives in jeopardy of people if something goes wrong, because right now Mike is not legally able to respond because he's been put in this position by Vivian McCann. And, and does that mean the rest of the volunteers can't respond also if the chief can't respond? Well, the, they, they can respond, um, but they are trying to stand in solidarity because they, they see that this is, not, this is not a just reason that he has been presented with this suspension. So, so a woman on the board who's married to the person who she wants to be the, uh, who she wants to be the fire chief. That sounds, yes. sounds like she's got a conflict of interest and ought to, ought to conflict her way right out of that decision, shouldn't she? I, I'm hoping so. I know that, that there was a room full of um, local citizens that came to the board meeting the other night. I was there as well, and they voiced their opinions. Um, you can tell that she's made up her mind, <laughs> but um, there's another meeting on Thursday, the, the 24th at 6 p.m. Um, I believe it's also going to be in Fire Station 1 in Elsie, and um, that's the time that that um, Mike Womack, the, the now fire chief, is told that he will be able to speak and defend all the claims that were made against him. Well, because and, he and you make the point that this isn't just a problem for Vernonia or for Vine Maple or any of that. It's a problem for anybody who's driving that route to the coast, yes, which means the if there's, they, they respond to a lot of car accidents and other kinds of emergencies that are from people yes. who are just transiting through the area, right? A absolutely. All of us. And small town politics is, is, has made this happen is, is what it sounds like to me. Yes, and she, she makes it sound like it's about a building, but this is not about a building. This is a, a vendetta to get them out of the, her way so that way she can have her husband be the fire chief. Well, I'll tell you what, I would, uh, Paula, because you've said this about her, I'd be happy to have her on the show to answer that. that. If, if she's interested, I'd be, and in fact, if you send me her contact info, I'll also have my producers reach out and see if she's willing to come on and say I, why I, you I, put the community in that in that kind of spot. Paula, thank you for the call. Glad to get your calls on this Tuesday. 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Live. This is 
the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I don't think strikes do anybody any good. And you already know my point of view on unions. It's a rather dim point of view when it comes to labor unions. But now, now in Washington State, the legislature is considering laws that would allow people who decide to go on strike, they have a legal right to do that under the laws of the United States, um, it would allow them to collect unemployment benefits. And if you think that might actually provide an incentive to go on strike, I think you're right. And if you might think that some of the strikes will go on longer, if the workers are still are getting unemployment benefits because they have decided themselves to unemploy themselves, I think you're precisely correct about that. So I thought we'd talk about it with Elizabeth Hovde, who's a research analyst and director of the Center for Worker Rights and Healthcare at Washington Policy. Elizabeth, welcome back. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me on about this. I want to make sure that people don't think I've overstated the case here. Uh, when I said this, this would provide, if passed into law, and it's, it's a, a largely Democrat-controlled state legislature, and it's a Democrat governor in Jay Inslee, that if this becomes law, someone or a group of people who decide to go on strike will then be able to file for unemployment, even though they are the ones who unemployed themselves by walking off the job? Yes, you're right. A pair of bills that is moving in the legislature proposes paying unemployment insurance benefits to workers who decide to go on strike. Um, currently, Washington State's unemployment benefit program, which is paid for by taxes on employers, is designed for workers who lose. Now, it sounds like her phone may have dropped out. Joel, can you see if we can? Uh, uh, Elizabeth, are you there? Sounds like your phone. I am. Okay, go ahead. You were I saying it, 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 all this is paid for by employers who pay unemployment taxes, and I guess I have a dog in the fight there. I have employees, and I pay unemployment right. taxes. And the unions, uh, well, I don't know if this is just unions, but is this primarily being driven by the labor unions? Yeah, in fact, you know, the union uh, folks were there testifying on the bills that would give unemployment benefits to striking workers, and they suggested that it's important that these workers have money um, because they need a safety net, and they safety net, and they were talking about low-income workers, especially uh, such as those they said at Starbucks or things like that. So the proposed legislation would change the program so that for the first time, money is paid to people who stop working voluntarily. And under these pieces of legislation, that means even companies with good labor relations would be penalized by more costly unemployment insurance system. It's a social system. And in turn, workers who like their jobs will be financially punished for other workers' decisions not to work. And by the way, isn't there currently already an exception that says if you work in a unionized workplace and your coworkers go on strike and you say, I'm not going on strike, I'm going to still go to work, but I can't go to work because the other folks aren't working, I'm involuntarily unemployed, those people are already covered by unemployment, right? 
Exactly. There's already an exemption from that disqualification for workers who go on strike uh, voluntarily. It says that workers who are not participating in or financing or directly interested in the strike or lockout that caused the unemployment uh, is, is not affected by this disqualification. Okay, so so tell me this. Ordinarily, I've never been on unemployment in my life. I've always been able to find a job. But for those people who lose a job through no fault of their own, they're not fired for cause. Uh, they're simply just mm -hmm. reduction in force, rift out the door. Uh, as long as they were unemployed, not through their own choice, and as long as they're looking for another job, this would wouldn't this set union workers up in a special category where you know ordinarily yeah, yeah I wrote about you, that. Oh, go ahead. Please, please tell my audience. Did we lose her phone? I know, we had, I know we had a tough time connecting with you for a moment. I'm not sure what's going on with your cell phone. But, but do, the, do the union workers who are on strike, do they have to actually be looking for another job to qualify for unemployment? I don't, I don't know. I, sh I shouldn't answer that. I, I don't believe, I don't know. I don't know. The background for this bill sets, uh, it acknowledges that the UI program right now is set up to provide for workers who are separated from employment, who are available to work and actively searching. I think that would rule them out by the standard. They aren't available to work because they have to be there on strike, according to their their unions in many cases. So I'm not sure I'm not sure how that would work. Well, and they're and they're not available to take another job. If I mean, if an employer walked in and said to a striking worker. I'll offer you another job at a higher paycheck than the one you're getting now. Uh, unless it's a union job, they'd be violating the rules of their own union. So it, it sets exactly. union workers up in a special category where everybody else who's unemployed and getting benefits has to look for work and be available to work, but union members don't, right? Yeah, this, this dramatically changes the program, you know, not not keeping it for people who lose work through no fault of their own dilutes the safety net that we build for these people, for people who lose jobs through no fault of their own. And I do think it will make strikes longer. I think it will make... You know what? Her phone just cut out again. I don't know what we're going to be able to do about that. Let's see if we can get her to a, be a better line because I think it's her cell phone based on... On my experience with dropped calls, uh, it sounds like her cell phone is cutting out. But Here's the point of view I've got. Number one, you know, I'm not a fan of unions. I don't want to be a member of a union. On the other hand, if somebody wants to join a labor union, the laws of the United States and even the U.S. Constitution make it clear, you literally have a constitutional right to be in a union. And if you say, well, I don't see unions mentioned in the Constitution, the Constitution says you have the freedom of association. That's one of the rights embodied in the First Amendment. So if you have freedom of association, you can belong to a labor union. But if you decide to belong to that labor union, let's see if we can get Elizabeth back on a better line. Elizabeth, are you back? I'm here. I'm can sorry you give my this. audience some, where do these bills sit? Because I've had to explain to a few people, you know, there are lots of bills that are introduced that never see the light of day. Then there are bills that get passed out of committee with a due pass recommendation to the full House or the full Senate, and those are likely to pass, and in a Democrat-controlled state, likely to get voted on and, and, and passed and signed by Governor Inslee. Uh, where do these sit right now, do you know? 
I do. It's super interesting. I was sitting in a committee hearing and saw this bill being talked about, and I couldn't believe it was sent to executive session. The House version of the bill will likely get voted up or down by a committee tomorrow in executive session, and the Senate version was already passed by the Senate Committee for Labor and Commerce. And before it passed, you know, uh, there were some lawmakers trying to stop this thing, and they were suggesting amendments that would make it a, um, a little less bad, I guess, that would leave it to only lockouts rather than uh, strikes as well, and um, they were voted down. So it looks like this is going full steam ahead. And it sounds like if it's going to be voted on an executive session, the public doesn't get to see the process. Isn't that interesting? That's Elizabeth Hovde. She's the director of the Center for Worker Rights at Washington Policy. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls. And we've got a lot to talk about at 866-A-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to talk in a moment about what happens when Democrats finally realize, as they are during this election year, that the folks they elected to public office are actually ruining their town. And a lot of this has to do with illegal aliens. But let me get into that in just a moment. First, I want to go to some of your calls. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Uh, naysayers always go to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And vote in our poll on X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and on my website at Lars larson.com let me go first to jim hey jim welcome to the program what's on your mind hey lars in reference to your last two calls i can i'm a volunteer firefighter for over 30 years and i think that that may have to do with the unions we're, we're always under pressure to change from volunteers to paid firefighters by the unions and those that back them yeah, and, the, and, and don't, don't volunteer firefighters actually outnumber professional firefighters in America right now? 
they do right now, but it's getting less and less every year because of that push to uh, to get paid firefighters. And they people will always back levies for fire service, and so if they can get on there, they can change it in a heartbeat. Well, except that not to push back, but it sounds like you're a volunteer firefighter, but and I've never been one, but I have a number of friends who are. And they tell me most of the time you have a volunteer fire department because the community can't afford the the cost. So uh, they may have uh, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people, most of whom are volunteers and one or two paid firefighters in a volunteer department. So you have some people with some some training, formal training as firefighters. If you go from 30 firefighters that are volunteer to 30 paid, that sounds like a pretty good chunk of money in small communities, doesn't it? Well, a couple points, Lars. We are very well trained as volunteers. Uh, pretty much. The yeah, same I'm not undercutting your training. I'm just saying, don't you differentiate by saying, well, we're a volunteer department with 30 or 40 volunteers, and we have one or two or three uh, paid, what they call, refer to as professional. Am I getting their language wrong? Well, actually, most of them are 100% volunteers with with virtually no pay going out. And the problem we have, just like in small towns and cities, is that the, we're, we're covered on both sides by paid departments, and so they, they kind of kind of use their influence, and it just their dominoes fall as you go farther out from the cities. And so the same thing that, that has happened with housing or anything else, uh, the pressure comes to... Can't we get better service if, if they were paid and we could pay just a little bit more and we'd have a paid department and never have any of the worries from that volunteers can bring? Yeah, and like anyway, I said, I the only concern I'd have is if you had 30 volunteers and you said, let's put them on all full paychecks as, as you know, as, as uh, paid uh, firefighters, doesn't that sound, 30 full-time salaries sounds like a lot of money, unless you only pay them when they're actually working as firefighters for that shift. Well, that that sounds good, but when you when you ride re, when you when levy rates rise, people if you look at it, they will always vote for fire service because they're always being saved by the firemen. Yep. So a little a little bit of a raise year after year, you get to a point where you can support more and more paid in your department. That makes sense. Now, you actually called in originally because you paid a visit to your liberal mother, and she told you she didn't believe some of the stuff that's going on in America. You can tell her that it's, yeah. I mean, most of it, uh, what you told my producer is true, but frankly, I can't believe half the stuff that I end up talking about, but it's it's not fiction. It's not made up. What was your mom telling you? Well, it's interesting. I just came from central Washington and, and came down the gorge during the big ice storm on Friday, and and now I'm headed back, the, the ice storm that never happens if you listen to the people. Now I'm headed back, and I stopped at Starvation Creek to, to talk to Lars Larson. And if you know the history of Starvation Creek, it happened then. <laughs> it happened then to a, a train, and the people were, were stuck here because of the of the weather and and that's yeah, why but jim i was trying to jim what i was curious about is what was your mom telling you she didn't believe in the news well pretty much i i made a point this time to sit and listen with her to her her mainstream news for an hour and a half every night and i i couldn't help myself but 
make a comment now and then about how why aren't they at least talking about how EVs do in this cold weather and 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 things like that and she she would act like I, I am out of my brain and lying through my teeth whenever I would bring something like that up or that how come they don't don't mention global warming when we're having these freezes they never mention ever anything about climate change because it, it does not match their narrative and anyway so it, it's pretty disconcerting to sit there and listen to the news and have them never talk about so many things that are relevant yeah see i've got the same concern because joe biden running around telling everybody that hey the economy is great no it's not i mean by the numbers by people's own experience it's not jim i appreciate the call let's go to jerry hey jerry welcome to the lars larson show what's on your mind Lars, uh, I have an idea of why I believe Nikki is staying in the race. Nikki Haley. Yeah, why is that? Yes, because she believes that over time that Donald Trump is going to be legally not able to be president. She'll be the only one left. And at that point, then uh, Ron DeSantis will jump back in because Donald Trump will give him his endorsement. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay, except I think, uh, while I disagree with Nikki Haley and her sympathy for illegal aliens and a whole bunch of, of her positions on the issues, I don't think she's uninformed. She must know, what does she? what is it you think she believes would disqualify for Trump from running for president? I'm just thinking with all the legal complications he's dealing with, something's going to catch him. No, but hold on. There are three things you have to do to be president. One, you got to be a natural-born citizen of the United States. That's Donald Trump. You have to be at least 35. He's more than twice that. And you have to have been a legal resident of the United States for 14 years. He meets all those qualifications. What's going to disqualify him? I don't know. Democrat, all this, these tricks they're trying to pull. I love Donald Trump. I love Donald Trump, too, and I think he's going to make a great president come January of next year. But I, I, I think they're, they're smoking dope when they say, well, uh, listen, I, uh, you know, I think he's going to be disqualified. You've had Democrat, a Democrat almost 100 years ago, Eugene Debs, a real crazy socialist, who actually ran for president from behind bars in prison. So the Democrats who are smoking this stuff, and seem to think that Joe Biden's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and he's going to make a, he's made a great president so far, and all he's doing is good things for America, and that Donald Trump's going to be disqualified because of all their cockamamie indictments that are currently falling apart right in front of their eyes, in part because the Democrats like Fannie Willis can't keep it zipped. Are you kidding me? You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest. The Network. Lars Larson Show. has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you. And I know that some of you have faulted me from time to time saying, hey, you complain about all these things like public education, government-run schools, and then you don't suggest alternatives or how do you fix the problem? Well, 
I saw this the other day, and I was reading some of the things written by Brett Pike, who's the founder of the Classical Learner Homeschool Company and creator of the Homeschool's Connected Curriculum and author of the Cubs to Bears Children's Book Series. And I thought, this guy sounds like he studied a particular group of Americans who seem to have a very good approach to education. Ms. Pike, welcome to the program. Hey, Lars, thanks for having me. Now, you keep an eye on Amish people in America, and in particular, how they educate their kids. And I'll bet a lot of people may not, I mean, they know of the Amish, let's say, generically, but do you think most Americans understand how the Amish approach education? You know, they don't. And I don't just keep an eye on Amish. I keep an eye on all different forms of education. And the common thread you have outside of the public school system is that the purpose of an education is to get the learner ready to live a free and independent life in the real world, which is the exact opposite of what's happening in the public schools, where the only thing these kids can do at 18 years old is sign a college loan, which they don't understand, go into debt and get four more years of indoctrination. Our schools aren't getting children ready to be successful in the real world. I agree with every single word you just said. So we're on the same page on that. Would you mind telling my audience, and I, I didn't mean to shortchange you by saying the Amish, it's just that I don't see a lot of people who write about their model for education, which, as you point out, finishes in the eighth grade, which might shock people. And you say, well, if they finish in the eighth grade, they'll be wholly unprepared for life. And yet that's not the case, is it? Oh, I mean, they're more prepared than American school students are. I was pretty shocked a few years ago. I went to visit the Amish, and there must have been thousands of people there that day. And there were eight-year-olds managing uh, a hamburger stand by themselves. And to think about the amount of money, the customer relations that went into that, that these eight-year-olds are capable of doing that, but that's how the Amish prepare their children. And when they get to eighth grade, they graduate their formal schooling, which is very good. They're able to speak three different languages. And then they go on to their real-life training, and they start to learn agriculture. They start to do apprenticeships. They start to learn real skills for the real world. And as I work with parents who are literally pulling their children out of the public school system by the millions, I tell them that that's what we want to do. We want to teach our kids skills, engineering, carpentry, skills, 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 so that they can live those independent lives, and they have choices. And that includes skills, that includes critical thinking, which our school system isn't doing at all. In fact, Gavin Newsom over there in California just passed a new bill mandating that school children be taught media literacy. And we could get into what his version of media literacy is versus what should be learning. Well, imagine what would happen if you taught a kid critical you know, critical thinking, which I think is hugely important, and I hope I hope I do critical thinking every single day. I mean, there are people who bring me stories and say, hey, Lars, this is a story, and I look at it and say, you know, there's a logical contradiction in what you're telling me, or let's go check and see how much this is backed up by other things, and I try to, to double-check it uh, to make sure, eh, is what you're telling me actually matching up? And uh, and if it doesn't, uh, then then that. But but if you teach kids critical thinking and then you tell them, but boys can become girls, girls can become boys. Uh, your skin color makes it, you know, defines how you interact with the rest of the world and whether you're a victim or an oppressor. Critical thinkers wouldn't take that kind of garbage, would they? 
Yeah, well, that's, that's why they don't do it. And when you see the dichotomy of the way it's being taught in school versus the way it's being taught, thinking is being taught basically everywhere else, no parent in their right mind would send their children to these schools. I mean, they're already telling boys that they're girls and girls that they're boys, so who in their right mind would want to do anything to do with that? But when these children are being taught media literacy in California, same thing in New York, they just passed a similar bill. They're being told that if something is referenced by what they call a reputable source, then it's, a, then it's good information. So if the New York Times says it, well, they're reputable, it's good information. If you could cross-reference that with the New York Times and the Washington Post and Reuters, well, now all these reputable sources are reporting it, it must be true, which, of course, we know, anyone that's familiar with the history of the church committee and how yep. these things are leveraged for money, they know it's nonsense. Right? Because yep. what the children should be taught is to scan these articles for logical fallacies, which, you know, this dates back to Greece and um, classical methods of thinking that have always been taught to children that we're being denied now. And they should be taught to get back to primary documents and review the documents for themselves and use their discernment. But that's not what's happening in public schools. It is what's happening in the alternative in home schools all over America. By the way, I'm talking to Brett Pike. He's the founder of the Classical Learner Homeschool Company, creator of the Homeschools Connected Curriculum, and author of the Cubs to Bears Children's Book Series. There are a lot of American parents. My, I have a dog in the fight, Brett. I always try and disclose it. I have a granddaughter. Uh, she's being homeschooled. I, I went to public schools, but they were, it was a different time then. My wife also went to public schools. We didn't go to private schools. But what are you doing to help people who say, I want to take on this task of homeschooling my children because the public schools have become too toxic? Um, what is, what does your company do to try to make that possible? And, and, and for the practical side of it, how expensive is it? Because I've found that homeschooling seems to be a whole lot less expensive than twenty grand a year for K through twelve government run schools. Yeah, well, that's the beautiful thing that anybody can homeschool. It's one of the most welcoming communities in the world. Five million plus families, and it doesn't have to be um, something that breaks the bank. And two years ago, when I decided I was going to escalate and start my own homeschool company, we started building out curriculum and we have built out rapidly courses on critical thinking and discernment and actual media literacy like getting back to primary documents and um, scanning news articles for logical fallacies learning the logical fallacies courses on the bill of rights the american revolution and why our rights are important and then not just understanding the rights but teaching real american civics that our children need, that our children deserve, if they're going to be able to defend their rights in the future. So the average American can't tell you the structure of the federal court system. Well, that's outrageous. So we're teaching that to elementary school kids. We're teaching that to middle school kids. And not only the structure of the court system, but the tools that are available to them. What is an affidavit? What is a conditional consent when your employer says that, you know, you have to do this medical intervention, otherwise you can't get, you know, you can't come to work. Well, people who know their rights don't get bullied, but people who don't know their rights essentially don't have them. So we're teaching these things. We're teaching financial literacy to elementary school students, treating it like math, like science, embedding entrepreneurial 
um, embedding entrepreneurship directly into the lessons, guiding these children to start their own lemonade stands, and as they get older, to do more and more things as they develop skills. We have an engineer. He was a mechanic at NASA. Now he's an industrial engineer, and he's been building out a STEM curriculum for first graders that they start, and they're learning how to actually build things with their hands. That's the way to go. That is Brad Pike. I know we're going to be talking to him in the future. He is the founder of the Classical Learner Homeschool Company, creator of the Homeschools Connected Curriculum, and the author of the Cubs to Bears Children's Book Series. And as he points out, the Amish kids finish school in eighth grade, but the learning doesn't stop there. And they're better prepared than many of the kids who are finishing out in government-run schools. Brad, thank you very much. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Naysayers go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states for the past 24 years. Now, I've got a few things I want to get to you, and then I want to get some of your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Number one. The New Hampshire primary is going on right now. In fact, the first votes were cast at about midnight last night, uh, except that those first six uh, votes in uh, Dixville Notch aren't really definitive. What's going to be definitive is what happens to Donald Trump and to Joe Biden today. And I've got things to say about both of those. First, let's hear from the guy who's going to be the next president of the United States come January of next year. No, no, no. I don't think it goes too far. I mean, they would they say a lot of things that are wrong. Uh, they have the wacko governor up here who ran for president, but he didn't have the courage to say he was running. You know, you had Sununu. He was running for president for months. He was getting Asa Hutchinson type numbers, which are very low. And then he never had the guts to say so. Uh, you know, he, they, they just give so much false information. It's very sad. It's very sad. And what they were asking him about is misspelling Nikki Haley's name. Let me tell you what I think is going to happen. The results will be in tonight. We'll probably talk about it more tomorrow because I believe that what's going to happen today, Nikki Haley will get some percentage of the vote. It will not be bigger than what Donald Trump gets, and it will probably be small enough out of New Hampshire that Nikki Haley may not even make it to the primary in her home state of South Carolina. And even if she does, her home state of South Carolina, based on the polls, is not likely to give her a big win. 
Now, when you can't win your own home state, that's a pretty sad situation. It reminds one of, say, Al Gore back in the day, who couldn't carry Tennessee. Uh, why? Because the people of Tennessee knew what a turncoat he was, and so... He left politics to a large extent, went into climate change, and made lots and lots of money. But that was Donald Trump. And then you had this robocall that is apparently being used, and I'll tell you ahead of time, just so nobody gets excited about it, it's a fake robocall. And we don't know who's behind it. For all I know, it's Joe Biden's people trying to engender some sympathy for him. But take a listen to the robocall that some people in New Hampshire are getting on their phones. We know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be removed from future calls, please press 2 now. Now, as I said, it's a fake call. Somebody put it together. I know who's likely to catch the blame for it. They're going to say, why, this is those crazy MAGA people trying to convince people not to vote. Well, a couple of observations on that. If anything, this kind of little scandal, which is getting covered by the news, saying, well, there's a fake robocall that tells Democrats not to vote on Tuesday today in, in New Hampshire. And it's clearly a fake. We know it's clearly a fake, as my producer Joel pointed out, because it has a man who sounds like Joe Biden speaking in coherent sentences for 25 seconds. That We all know that can't possibly be Joe Biden. He's not capable of speaking in coherent sentences for 25 seconds. That's problem number one. Problem number two, if you are a voter who is so dim-witted, now, I realize I'm talking mostly about Democrats there, that you don't know about voting in primaries and you don't know that you need to vote on Tuesday in a primary and that saving your vote for November, it's like a bad political joke. If anybody out there is stupid enough to believe, well, I can't vote in the primary, I need to save my vote for November because if I vote in the primary, I won't have a vote in November. If you're that uninformed a voter, you probably shouldn't be casting a ballot anyway. That's observation number one. Again, it's a fake call, a fake robocall. Um, but the fact is that this is this is the kind of stuff that people on the left would use to engender sympathy for somebody like Joe Biden. And he needs all the sympathy he can get because he's not doing very well. He's got a country whose economy is in the toilet right now. He's got wars that are costing hundreds of billions of dollars. He's created dangerous situations in Ukraine, in the uh, in the Formosa Strait, off Taiwan. He's got all kinds of problems, and he doesn't seem to make very good decisions. He made colossally stupid decisions when it comes to the Middle East. And really, he's selling America down the river. Yesterday, I mentioned to you, we had two Navy SEALs more than 10 days ago who went out to carry out a very dangerous mission off the coast of Somalia. That's what SEALs do. And they disappeared. Their bodies have not been found. Over the weekend, uh, the U.S. Navy declared that they were officially recognized as deceased, even though they haven't found their bodies yet. Do you know that as of yesterday, Joe Biden had not said one word. These are two of his people. He is the commander-in-chief, in theory. And yet two Navy SEALs go out on a highly dangerous mission. They disappear, are now presumed to be dead. 
and Joe Biden doesn't say a single word about what's going on. And then this morning, I think Joe Biden was finally getting enough heat for not saying anything about two missing service members that he finally issued a statement. He didn't come out and talk to the press. He didn't say our thought, you know, our prayers go out, that we're doing everything we can to find these men, that they were an exceedingly dangerous mission. No, he just sends out a written statement. And I have a feeling it wasn't even written by Joe Biden. It was likely written by a member of his staff. So if that tells you just how bad Joe Biden's situation is, Americans see what's going on now. They understand this man is demented. He is he's losing his mind and he can't possibly probably finish out this term, let alone go on to a second term. You're listening to the Lars Larson show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lawrence Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. You know, one of the big concerns a lot of us have is that Joe Biden has walked us into a lot of bad situations. A bad situation leaving Afghanistan, a bad situation in Ukraine, and now it sounds like a bad situation involving the island nation of Taiwan. And it is a country, despite, as far as I'm concerned, despite the fact that uh, the United States insists on kind of kowtowing to mainland China, you know, with its policy that says Taiwan's just a little breakaway part of our country and we'll have it back in our evil clutches as soon as we possibly can. And on that note, I want to introduce to you Director General Daniel Chen of the Taiwanese... I Director Chen, can I call it the embassy in Seattle, or, or are you allowed to call it an embassy? Oh, actually, we're more like a defective uh, consulate general, but um, um, representing Taiwan. So even though people know us as a TICO, so it's not more the company, but actually it's a defective consulate general of, Seattle, of Taiwan in Seattle. Yeah, because the director general of the consulate, in, in Seattle, not the embassy, because officially the United States in kowtowing to China doesn't officially recognize Taiwan to the point of even allowing you an embassy in the United States. Am I correct? Um, I, sort of. I, I, I don't, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let me ask you about this. So Taiwan has had its presidential election, and it was quite a historic one. Would you mind telling my audience about why it's so significant, what happened in that election? Yeah, I think Lars, it's a very good question, because uh, this time, I think in the year 2024, uh, over 40 countries, and there are more than 70 elections around the world, and uh, Taiwan's lucky to have the first one uh, election. So despite all the uh, interference, we have a cyber attack, we have uh, disinformation, we have military threat, we have uh, economic coercion, but still Taiwan has our, uh, you know, election. A democratic election, which proved to the world that the democracy still works and also set a good example for the world so, so we can keep the hope uh, of the democracy. So I would say uh, the, this election is a finally uh, a victory of Taiwan's democracy. And the, and, and the winner of that election uh, is still, uh, as well as the majority of Taiwanese people, believe that Taiwan is its own country and reject the notion that you're just part of mainland China, correct? Exactly. I think uh, the result of this election also tells that I think the majority of people still uh, prefer to maintain the status quo, and also uh, we are adamant to uh, uphold our democracy. So uh, I think you are correct. Yep. How difficult is it to maintain that you are a free country with a self-determining government and voting elections against the pressures put on you by mainland China? China responded to the election, by the way, by saying Taiwan is part of China. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised they keep on saying that. I mean, no matter what they call, but still, it doesn't change the fact that we are kind of a uh, Taiwan is a sovereign state. Uh, we have our own uh, democracy. We have our own uh, diplomatic relations and even our military. So, I mean, Taiwan meets every uh, qualification to be a, a sovereign state. So no matter what uh, men in China uh, maintain, they even try to distort the uh, United Nations General Assembly, the resolution 2758. Uh, but still, I think that to many, many people around the world, they are pretty uh, sure that uh, Taiwan is a sovereign state. So, Just so uh, this time, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so like this time, uh, we see so many uh, disinformation, this, this kind of so many maneuver from many China to, to influence Taiwan. For example, uh, they even have, from our National Security Bureau, we found out that China funds their many, many poll companies to uh, make fake polls or fake numbers. They even have a specific social media try to influence the public uh, opinion. And also they even uh, threaten the Taiwan pop singer to speak, uh, support the PRC directly. So, I mean, we wouldn't be surprised that uh, the PRC always try to exert their most to, to try to distort our democracy and, you know, so, uh, but still, I mean, this uh, election, the result election tells you all. I'm talking to Director General Daniel Chen. He's at the uh, Taiwanese consulate in Seattle. Are you getting what you need from the United States to make sure that China doesn't even try to take over Taiwan, or are you not getting what you need? I think we are very uh, confident and very excited uh, to to have the support and all the necessary assistance from the United States to make sure Taiwan is a democracy. And so for the past couple of years, we see the relations between both sides has reached a climax. And we, uh, we have a lot, we have received a lot of assistance uh, from the states. And also, we also, through the help, through the leadership of the United States, that uh, many, many like-minded countries also render their support to Taiwan. So uh, we, we cannot thank the states for enough. I guess, Mr. Uh, Director Chen, 
One of the things I want to remind people of, almost exactly four years ago, we were at the beginning of the pandemic. And on the 14th of, of January of that year, four years ago, uh, mainland China was telling the United States, look, uh, we can't even be sure that this disease spreads from people to people. That's what they were saying at the time. And the WHO was backing them up. Taiwan had done its best to try to warn the rest of the world in late December about what was coming, didn't you? Yes, Lars, you are 100% correct. I think uh, because of uh, the lesson we learned from the year, in the year 2003, we know, we knew the result. We also are very, uh, you know, aware of the nature of the PRC. So we tried to do, try to remind the world that the nature of the PRC and we try to help. I think the, the, uh, the COVID has demonstrated to the world that Taiwan does uh, its best to help the world and we are kind of a reliable and responsible partner of the international society. And one of the things that got in the way of your warning was the fact that Taiwan is not allowed to be a member of WHO, is it? No, we are not. We are not even an observer right now. Which means that, that WHO could simply ignore uh, what Taiwan was, its warnings in late December. And that's why on the 14th of January, the WHO came out and said, oh, there's no sign this disease even spreads from person to person. Something we found out, I think, the Chinese communists in the mainland at the uh, PRC, they knew that wasn't true when that message got flushed out by their allies over at the WHO. And part of the reason your your warning was not heard, uh, not allowed to be heard, was was because Taiwan was shut out of membership because the WHO doesn't view Taiwan as a full country. Lars, you are well, you are one hundred percent correct because of uh, Taiwan is not a member, so we cannot participate in the WHO, which deprived us the ability to contribute and even to uh, warn the world. So that's why the, 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 the world right now is suffering. I mean, even now, a couple of days ago, there's a rumor, uh, I'm not sure, but probably most likely to be true. They are trying to study the new kind of uh, virus. Yep. So I think it's very, very dangerous and not responsible. I mean, all the research has been conducted in a very reasonable way. So that's why, uh, I mean, Taiwan has demonstrated that we, we've been always follow this kind of a principle and show the world and how how the world order should be. Uh, still, uh, so many countries they they are still possessed maybe worth some uh, uh, some merit or kind of some uh, cash by by China. That is Daniel Chen. He is the director general of Taiwanese consulate in Seattle. Director Chen, thanks so much for your time. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. 
view the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Basically, the coffee that we all drink um, emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. So we should all know that this is every time we drink coffee, we are basically putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Now, that is one of the so-called contributors at the World Economic Forum. You know, this big shindig that they're having or have had in Davos, Switzerland. This is a guy who's a Swiss banker, and he's one of what they call their agenda contributors. I mean, you can almost guarantee that these guys are going to come out with six kinds of crazy every time they open their mouth. But that's Hubert Keller, Swiss banker, and a guy who simply believes that Americans and people around the world are drinking too much coffee. And that's the latest thing that we're told is ruining the climate of planet Earth. Now, I want to say a couple of things about that. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you on board. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, maybe you actually agree with this joker. Well, we've got to save the planet. We've all got to stop drinking coffee right now. 866-439-5277. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our poll on X. The question can be found at Lars Larson Show on X or on our website at LarsLarson.com. But at the, I don't want to offend anybody, but at the, uh, at the risk of doing that, to paraphrase the, the late Martin Niemöller, when they came for your gas car, nobody stood up. And when they came for your steak to replace it with bugs for you to eat, few had the courage to object. But when the cartoonish Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum comes for your morning cup of coffee, will Americans and sensible people around the planet finally realize where all this agenda is headed? That's the question that occurred to me when I heard what Hubert Keller of Switzerland uh, who showed up at the World Economic Forum as one of their contributors, and he said, the coffee we drink emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. Every time we drink coffee, we're basically putting CO2 into the Earth's atmosphere. Now, if that concerns you, do you know what the World Economic Forum and these jokers have suggested? I mean, all these elites who traveled to Davos for their big shindig, uh, most of the most elite of them showed up on private jets that burned jet fuel so that they could lecture the rest of us about not drinking coffee. What this guy suggests is that people on planet Earth should limit themselves, listen closely because you're not going to believe your ears at first, you should limit yourself to no more than two or three cups of coffee each per year. Two or three cups of coffee each per year. Well, I'd be in trouble because I've usually had two or three cups of coffee by 8 o'clock in the morning. I start about 5 and I'd say on an average day, three cups by 8 o'clock is not unusual for me. But to tell Americans and people everywhere 
no more than two or three cups of coffee per each person per year. And what is part of their objection? They say, well, you know that coffee is one of these monoculture kinds of products, meaning that if you've got places that have the climate and the water and everything else that you need to be able to grow coffee, the people who grow coffee clear the land and then they plant coffee plants and then they harvest the beans and the beans make their way to the United States. The United States, the only, as far as I know, the only domestic coffee that we produce comes from Hawaii because Hawaii happens to have the climate and the water to be able to grow coffee. Most of the rest of the United States, there might be a little bit in Southern California, I don't think so. There might be a little bit in Florida. There used to be a ton of coffee in Cuba, but of course the communist economy there did away with coffee. But these are people who are constantly telling the rest of the world how we have to live. And I'll tell you what's especially scary about it. When you have Klaus Schwab, who has always seemed to me like kind of a cartoon character villain, like you'd see in an Austin Powers movie, where he shows up and he says, we will run the real world. Now, his dad was a Nazi, so I guess maybe you have to forgive him for his accent and his point of view. I don't. I think Klaus Schwab is one of the most evil people on the planet. And frankly, one of my tests for both conservatives and liberals is, if you've had any kind of association with the World Economic Forum and the shindigs in Davos, I don't trust you. Unless you showed up there, as a few people did. I mean, last week, the head of the Heritage Foundation went to Davos to speak to the World Economic Forum, and he gave it to him with both barrels. He said, the thing that people realize, and I'm paraphrasing the guy who heads up the Heritage Foundation, the thing that all these people who show up at Davos believe is, number one, they're elites. Number two, they have money, lots and lots of money. And number three, they're highly educated. So their point of view is that they will tell the rest of the world how to run things. And I kid you not, Klaus Schwab, even last week, we played the soundbite. This guy is so bold in what he's proposing right now. He says, we now have the ability with computers that we don't need to hold elections anymore. Can you imagine selling that idea to American citizens, saying, you don't need to have elected leaders anymore. You don't need to have representatives in Congress or your state legislatures anymore. We will simply make all these decisions for you because we're richer, we're more elite, and we have more education than you do. So take our prescriptions. You will sign on, and this is what Joe Biden is considering right now. You will sign on to a deal with the World the World Health Organization, which associates itself with WEF, W-E-F, um, and you will turn over all decision-making about health emergencies to the World Health Organization. In other words, Americans who have the longest-lasting representative form of government on Earth that's run any size country at all are going to hand over the sovereignty of the United States to these crazy people at the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization, and they're going to say, we don't need to have our point of view represented anymore. We're going to let you make our decisions instead. No, no, we're not. And we don't trust you. And frankly, to say to Americans, you get two or three cups of coffee a year, and that's all you're allowed. And by the way, shut up about your steak. Eat some bugs. Let's go first to Stuart. Hey, Stuart, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, love your show. 
Thank it, you, I just sir. Had to laugh. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be three cups a week. No, a year. Three <laughs> cups a year. Hilarious. So you you could have it's one hilarious. at Christmas and one on New Year's morning after you've gone out and partied <laughs> the night before, and maybe one on your birthday. That's what you get. There we go. There we go. That's smart rationing. Oh, my God. It's just incredible. But I was going to be a naysayer and say we do need to get rid of coffee. We need to get rid of Starbucks coffee. Well, frankly, I think Starbucks burns their beans. But whatever. I, I'm biased against Starbucks uh, no. already. Well, they have whole, whole acres of, uh, like, uh, uh, Central America that has been nothing but, you know, um, coffee plantations. But the truth of it is... Plants are good for the atmosphere. Yeah. Okay. They, yeah. The they, they eat carbon dioxide that we exhale, right? Yes. Yeah. Furthermore, though, I am reading a book right now uh, from the Independent Institute, anyway. Did I mention that? A yeah, good organization. I wrote a book. It's called, yeah, it's called Hot Talk Cold Science, but he clearly explains in there that really any temperature increases we're seeing on their graphs, really, the graphs are all just hocus pocus because they miss the medieval warm period and they don't yep, talk and about that, And that went on for hundreds of years, didn't it? Stuart, I appreciate the input. I'm up against a hard break, but thank you for the call. And no. We don't need to get rid of coffee. Starbucks burn beans, we could get rid of that, but not coffee. Two or three cups a year, are you kidding? The Lars Larson Show. Portland. Broadcasting the sound of freedom. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Usually we make it to the shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade show in Las Vegas every single year. This year we did not. It's one of the few years that we've actually missed. But uh, the reason we go there is that we like to connect with some of the people who are doing good things for people around this great country. And one of them is Derek LeBlanc, who joins me now. He's president of the Kids Safe Foundation. Derek, welcome back to the program. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me. Would you mind telling my audience what Kids Safe is all about and how it helps out kids around this country? Okay, so the Kids Safe Foundation, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're based in Oregon, and we teach firearm safety and accident prevention to kids. And in our history, since 2016, we've reached over 28,000 kids in five states and taught them important skills when it comes to gun safety. And in fact, you're, you're teaching what sounds like that it's very similar to the Eddie Eagle program, but the, the idea is that if you teach very young kids, kids who aren't ready yet perhaps to go to a range and shoot a gun, but if you tell them if you encounter a gun, stop, don't touch, run away, and tell an adult, right? Yeah, absolutely. We kind of piggybacked on what the NRA is doing and, and kind of modernized it. So now we're talking about, you know, online safety, you know, video games, anti-bullying. So there's stuff that, you know, we're you know, into the next millennium when it comes to gun safety. We're trying to normalize this conversation. There's there's guns in this country. They're not going anywhere. And so it's important that we educate the kids on the importance of safety. So what are you telling, how successful are you at getting into some of the institutions where you're most likely to find kids, which I would guess would be school? 
It's, it's a challenge. I mean, depending on where we're going, you know, I'm, obviously we're from Oregon and, you know, we've had success there. I did write a Senate bill back in 2019 and I'm hoping to maybe try again. But we're talking nationally, you know, it, it, it depends on the state. You know, red states are definitely more friendly and more open to the idea of gun safety because they see the value of it to the, the children in the, in the schools. And so we're currently working with Oklahoma and, and helping them with their, their new bill. And, and so the, the goal is to normalize this conversation and bring gun safety across the country. See, that's the thing I've never understood, Derek, and, and I'll make this pitch, that if you talk to teachers, even if they're liberal teachers, and you say, what's the answer to unintended pregnancies? And you say, education. And you say, what about drugs? Well, that'd be education. What about bullying? That'd be education. What about child abuse? That would be education. Every single problem in the world is answered by education. And then when it comes to guns, even folks who consider themselves professional educators, you say to them, so what's the answer to keeping kids safe from guns they may encounter, you know, at a friend's house or out on the street or, or whatever? And their answer is, I mean, it would effectively, if I were to translate it, be deliberate ignorance. We need to keep them as ignorant of the subject as we possibly can, which doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah, and that's that's our biggest biggest you know beef that I have with the schools and obviously the media. You do a very good job promoting responsible gun ownerships, but there's a lot of a lot of a lot of people across the country trying to demonize gun ownership. And what they don't realize is there's an estimated 470 million guns in this country. They could pass every law. There's 22,000 laws already on the books. It's not going to fix the problems that we have. And so we have to focus at the next generation and and teach them that the guns are normal. There's nothing to be fearful of if they're handled properly and, and that's how we set them out on this this you know and keep them safe as they get older i'm talking to derek leblanc who's president of the kids safe at safe foundation we're talking to him live from shot show uh because because we normally go to shot show but we're just not there this year maybe that's the problem that when you approach schools or other kind of community institutions where you'd likely find kids boys and girls clubs or anything like that that they're worried that you're going to make the kids know that guns are a normal tool that they can be used safely and that there are ways for little kids to interact with them and that having adults who own guns that that's not a problem maybe they don't like that part of your message because they want to teach kids that guns are something to be feared and that and that guns are a bad thing well, absolutely. You have to look, follow the money. You know, there's so much money attached to gun control, and I can we can prove from the, from the work that we've done with 28,000 kids reached that you know gun control. We go into California, uh, you know, there's no educational opportunities for those kids, and so that's actually detrimental to the safety of their kids. So we can prove that education, if taught properly, is a value to our society, and that's what we're trying to do. And that's we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here and, and speak with you. Well, if, if parents want to reach out to you what's the best way for them to reach out to you and maybe to start this kind of program in their own community awesome so you can find us on our website kidssafefoundation.org there's two s's you can also find us instagram facebook twitter um, also on youtube and, and just send us an email and what we'll do is you know we are we're trying to get this outside of the northwest and get it across the country obviously it comes down to funding you know funding is very tight you know being a nonprofit, but you know we can start this conversation and bring our curriculum to their area because it's something that we know will work because it's been vetted it's i've got four thousand 
and hours in front of these kids, you know, practicing and demoing what we do. We know it works. We just need the opportunity. Well, at the end of the day, is it that expensive to create a curriculum or for you to give copies of this to people and say, okay, you can teach this in your own community, maybe teach it in your own schools, or if not that, then some other kind of community institution, like I said, a parks department or the boys and girls clubs or anything like that. Does it cost that much, much to do it? Absolutely not, and that's that's what we're trying to just put the final pieces together. Because obviously, we want to make sure the people that we're engaging with, that are going to be helping spread the message. You know, we want to make sure that they're they're moral and they're safe. You know, because we don't want to we want to make sure we protect the, the kids at all levels. And that means we protect them from predators as this thing grows. Because we don't know who's going to be trying to reach out to try to be a part of this. But we want to make sure that it is safety first for our children. And if you if you get these kids who come, and what's the age range specifically you're aiming at? But it, because it's some point i mean even my almost eight-year-old granddaughter i'd like to teach her to shoot or her dad will do it because he's equally uh, okay with the idea but there's an age to do that and there's an age where kids should be just told stop don't touch run away tell an adult yeah, so I mean, you look at look at the demographics. I mean, obviously, the most vulnerable age for our children is probably going to be four to eight years old, and so that's where we're. You know, if we normalize the conversation, you know, a lot of us carry a gun for personal protection because you know, society is dangerous, and so the gun is there at face level if it's in a holster. So just talk to the children. You know, say that this is a tool. This is something that we use to keep everybody safe, and normalize this conversation. And and for the the people that might be listening that don't have guns or are afraid of guns, don't think for a second just because you don't have firearms in the home that your kids can't be exposed somewhere else, you know. And so show and tell would be a very dangerous situation for the kids. So that's why we're trying to empower them. We also take them to the range, teach them how to shoot. So everything is about ed showing, showcasing the fact that education will save lives. See, and that's the thing I worry about because I, I've had adults tell me, they say, well, I don't own guns, I don't like guns, I don't want them in my house, so I'm not going to teach my kids about them. And I said, do you mean your kids don't go out in the world, they don't go to a friend's house for a sleepover, they don't go visit somebody else's house, and, and they're... And you know for a fact they're not going to be, you know, exposed, uh, you know, uh, that, one, that some kid who's not as well educated might say, hey, I know where my dad keeps his pistol. It's really cool. Let's go look at it and have your child know, no, hold on, I'm not doing that. And by the way, I'm going to tell my mom that, you know, you, even though that's going to be a tough thing for kids to do, but you teach them. There's nothing wrong with it. You come to us and say, hey, Johnny tried to show you a pistol. Uh, Johnny shouldn't have been doing that. And Johnny's parents should know that. And you shouldn't have been looking at it without an adult present and the adult managing the situation. You have to know that even if you've decided on your own as a parent that you don't want anything to do with guns, it doesn't mean your kids aren't going to be exposed to it anymore then your kids might be exposed to drugs that you also don't have in your house. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And that's that's my biggest thing is for the parents that are afraid and don't want to educate the kids, step back for a second and think think about something that's bigger than yourself and your ego, okay, or your fear. Get over that for a second. Just know there's an organization out there that cares for your children and wants to make sure that and it only takes an hour. It's just like paying your insurance. We pay our insurance every month because we don't want to have a claim. That's why gun safety is so important for those kids. Absolutely. Derek LeBlanc. Derek, thank you very much. He's president of the Kids Safe Foundation. If you lose the contact information, shoot me an email. We'll get you all fixed up. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
You with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Be honest. You're listening because you like what you hear. Right? Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. This segment of the show, and it makes perfect sense after the big snowstorm and hundreds of thousands of people without power for the better part of a week. This segment is brought to you by the home power generating folks at Protect Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out. Call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. To your calls now, uh, because I've had a lot of guests today. Let me go first to Bellingham on the Radio Northwest Network and KGMI. Craig, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Thank you. Oh, I was listening to your last caller, and it, it made me think of something. Uh, I was a retired police officer out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. And I worked narcotics for 10 years. So we started this program where we would go into the schools talk to the teachers, talk to the parents about drugs, what to look for, so on and so forth. This is 2000, so this is 23 years ago. Then we started finding kids were showing up at school with guns, right? Yep. And we go in for different reasons. And so I, thought, I talked to the superintendent of schools. I says, look it, why don't we get on top of this? So if a teacher sees a gun... They know it's not a bomb going to go off, you know, it's not blah, 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 because a lot of them never seen a gun before, correct? Yep. Well, so a lot. some some it. teachers are very gun-friendly, and some are just, right. they treat it like it's evil. Right. Well, so I'll tell you what happened. So my armory sergeant takes apart, well, he doesn't take apart, he disables a couple of guns, and I go to the PTA meetings. Yep. And I say, now, if you have a student and this thing falls out on the ground in the middle of the classroom, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to blow up. This is what you should look for. This is so what you should handle it, right? Yep. Well, I got about three PTA meetings. My God have mercy. Everybody went against it. They said, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't have this training, blah, 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 blah. And they stopped it. Well, that was 23 years ago, Lars. Wow. And look, look what happened since. You know what I mean? I, I so know I what know, you mean. And, and Craig, the only thing, I, like I said uh, to Mr. LeBlanc, I said, if you go to a PTA meeting, I don't know if you ever tried that argument, but if you told them every single problem that you identify with kids, sex, drugs, uh, misbehavior, bullying, whatever, you say education right. is the answer, and now you're telling us that keeping kids ignorant about guns is the right answer to anything involving guns, keeping them completely no, in the dark? Yeah, How could I anybody believe that? Too. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a gun is a gun is a gun, but if you know what it's about, what makes it work or what does not make it work, that's what I tried to show the teachers. But I got objected to, and they shut my program down. And that was Ouch. 23 years ago. See, and, and that's a detriment to the kids. Craig, I appreciate the call and the example. Let's go to Eugene, listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KPNW. Hey, Rod, what's on your mind today? Hey, so I spent 12 years in the Navy. There's no way in hell I could have got through it without coffee. <laughs> I, I don't doubt it. And here's the World Economic Forum uh, suggesting yeah. that, uh, that people of Earth should limit themselves to two or three cups a year. Not a month, oh, not yeah. a week, not a day, two or, two or three cups a year. Can you believe this is the insanity that we're up against? Yeah, it's tough to follow Dinner. He's a great guy. You ought to ask him about his uh, fighting 114 someday. Okay, I will, uh, I will do that at some point. I appreciate the suggestion. Let me go to Gary. Hey, Gary, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, go Ducks. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, Thursday night, 5 o'clock in Eugene, the Forest Oregon Forestry Board is going to have public input. They're also doing it, this is unannounced, uh, uh, next Wednesday in Astoria for the closing down of the forest for the next 70 years. We've kind of put them in a corner in that we've uh, exposed the fraud of the spotted owl, and they know it's a fraud. Everybody knows it's a fraud now because the the barred owl is killing the the spotted owl, and it doesn't matter how much land they set aside, it's not going to make one bit of difference to the extinction of the bar, of the uh, spotted owl because of the barred owl, and now they're looking for excuses to close down those forests because the spotted owl excuse it's kind of gone by the wayside. It's been exposed. And look at the practical effect of that, Gary. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we pointed out that uh, Hampton Mills just shut down a mill that provided jobs to about one person in six, one family in six in the town of Banks, Oregon. It's a small town. Uh, but but they, they shut the mill down and killed 60 jobs, and they may be dead for good because their supply of logs came out of state forests, and they're not logging the forests at what they call sustained yield, meaning they're logging far less than, than you could log where you cut trees endlessly, and you never run out of trees. Well, Lars, and, and they don't want to do it, so they're shutting mills down. Lars, Oregon should be the most, pro, uh, the most the richest state in the union because we have the most resources per capita of yep. any state in the union. And except for the forest board, we have nothing. We are in poverty. You're, you're absolutely right. And, Gary, one of the striking things is a lady wrote to me the other day, and she said, hey, um, you know, shouldn't we be, uh, you know, exporting this stuff? I said, yeah. Right now, America, I checked the number the other day, 30% of the wood that we make houses and everything else out of is imported to America. Now, is there any good reason why a country with 100 million acres of forest land, most of it public, is not supplying all of its own timber or lumber and even exporting some of it? Instead, we're importing something we grow right here in the Northwest. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? 
Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.